Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Justin Strickland, the president and CEO of Strickland Brothers 10-Minute Oil Change. After years in the oil change and automotive service industry, Justin left to start his own franchise, where their mission is to exceed the expectations of every customer by setting and meeting service standards that are innovative and centered around the highest level of service every time. Justin is passionate about serving people and developing his team every day. He loves his faith, family, and business in that order. Strickland Brothers Oil Change is rapidly expanding with locations in West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So my friend, Justin, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Drew. Awesome. Well, I'm curious. I know you were in the industry like we we just talked about before you started your own franchise, your own business. What made you take the leap to to going off and starting your own thing? Um, a, a couple different reasons. Uh, uh, without name dropping, I'm sure if people do research, they'll figure it out. But uh, some of the competitors that I was at uh, previously all seemed to have um, similar issues, and I, I think that a lot of them. In our industry, there's kind of some legacy service providers, and I think that several of them are slow to adopt um, innovation. Uh, when you try to turn the Titanic, it's much different than trying to turn a speedboat. Sure. And so when you have a 1,000 franchise owners or 1,500 franchise owners or, or outlets, corporate outlets, it doesn't matter either way, implementing a change is, is a process, and it's very difficult. And um, to being able to recognize some of the things in the industry uh, that, I, that I thought were important um, as it relates to you know, reputation management and different marketing verticals and inventory management systems, um, I thought would be a process. And with the position that I held at those companies were, were lower positions, so they weren't really positions of power. Um, so one, one of them that I worked for, I was a hood technician in, in one of wow. their you know, hundreds of units. Yeah. So when I got started in the industry, I was... 10 years ago, I was a minimum wage hood technician, and that's how I got started. And so you can be a hood technician with ideas, but you're going to be glazed over very, very quickly. Yeah. And um, so I asked that uh, particular owner if he thought I'd have a chance to be a manager for him. And he was polite, but he told me no. And that's okay. And so I moved on to a competitor um, and, and worked my way up to a district sales and ops position there. So I did have a little bit more pull, but I was only managing you know eight units out of 1500 or 2000 or something. So again, um, my voice was very, very small. Um, and I mean, I don't think they did anything wrong by, by making my voice, um, small. Um, but that's, that's why I started my own. I wanted to have a larger voice and a larger say into, uh, what really mattered. And I think my time being in the pits and working on the hoods and meeting face to face with customers and hearing real time complaints, not, you know, some type of, twisted verbiage through a CSS 10 question survey sure. um, was in, was important. I could hear how the customer felt immediately about specific um, items in, in, in the systems. And uh, so I wanted an opportunity to innovate and um, kind of re reimagine the, uh, the service industry. And uh, yeah, so that's why we took a leap of faith and jumped out and tried it. How long had you been thinking about, 
uh, starting your own thing before you actually took action on it? Um, I mean, not, not long, man. It doesn't take me long to make decisions. Um, really? I've always, no, I've always been pretty innovative. So I, I know I look like I'm probably 50, but I just turned 33 a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, we've, uh, I've been involved in several different businesses, um, uh, in my short career. Um, I've, I've owned real estate companies. I've owned some other auto concepts in the past. Um, been involved in, um, some robotic coffee stuff, uh, you know, different types of businesses. So I just, I love to hold on. Um, Did you say robotic coffee? Oh, it's coming here soon. Yeah, that needs what to be a podcast mean? for a different thing. So I am not the founder or CEO, nor can I take credit for that, but I'm an investor in a concept that uh, I, I think is going to be pretty neat. It's going to be a drive-through um, coffee concept that's com- ran completely by robots. There's no, <laughs> no humans. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I heard that right. Like, hold on. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, All no. right. No, no human, no humans there. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so you've yeah. always had, you've always had the kind of that entrepreneurial, um, risk tolerant personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because for for me, when you make a decision, if you really believe in whatever your values are, you mentioned mine earlier. Um, you know, my my faith, my family, my business, and uh, I've never signed a contract that says you're risking your faith by signing this, or you're risking your your wife and your children by signing this. And uh, so, at the end of the day, we're here an average of what seventy five or eighty years, so that's pretty short. I mean, there's there's really no reason not to. I'd hate to be eighty years old and thinking I wish I would have tried something. I'd rather wow. try it and just fail, and that way you don't have any regrets. You know, Heck it's yeah. just money, man just money it's really not that important <laughs> i love that it's so refreshing um okay have you had something yet in your in your young career i'm similar you i'm 35 about to turn 36 have you had something yet that you took a gamble on that didn't work out that was uh tough to swallow um no i haven't um i think a lot of that can be overcame by just a relentless work ethic and relentless research um you know i I'm just a competitive guy at nature. Uh, I don't jump into something before I fully research it. And um, typically when, when I invest, I know the answers. And it doesn't look like it because of the different things we've done and how fast we've scaled. But I'm relatively calculated as it relates to investments. Um, certainly conservative in any kind of public market invest, uh, investment. But um, no, I don't think what we do has a ton of risk behind it. Uh, we put good people in good positions and we trust them to do the right things. And, um, yeah, I don't think that we overcommit with what we do and try to grow at paces that we can handle. So fortunately, no, I haven't had to swallow any, um, any big pills yet. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you think has been, um, maybe one or two of the biggest keys to, to your success and fast growth specifically with the oil change business? an unwavering commitment to customer satisfaction and culture Hmm. pretty much sums it up. Um, I think that, you know, there's really, uh, I won't go too, too deep in case there's competitors listening to the podcast. (laughs) uh, At the end of the day, there's, there's a lot of similarities, right? I mean, I get asked on about every, any podcast I've done or any validation call. What's, well, what is the difference in you and one of these brands that have this national footprint and how are you going to come in here and disrupt this? And um, my answer is pretty unsexy. It's, well, we pull the drain plug the same way and we change the oil filter the same way. And so as it relates to operations, I mean, 
there's a couple customer touch points that I think we do that are some differentiators, but really what we do lies at the heart of our technology systems um, and, and the people that we put behind them to try to innovate and make them better. And really it comes down to in any industry, not just my industry, it comes down to execution is it's rare that you're going to find an industry that's monopolized and has no competitors. Most of them are going to have competitors and they're all going to be somewhat similar with different twists, right? So you think about Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and that, that analogy gets used all the time, but Chick-fil-A and any other fast food restaurant, it's not that Chick-fil-A serves different food. And candidly, I don't think their food's substantially better. It's the level of service. And so it really comes down to execution. And so yeah. if you're investing resources, you should always invest resources into finding ways to execute better than your competition. That's the key difference in Strickland Brothers and its competitors is providing the opportunity to execute the model better uh, than competitors. Not not that we reinvented an old change. The drain plug's the exact same if you drive your vehicle into my shop as it is you know, any competitor. Uh, it's just the um, opportunity for, for our management or our franchise partners to execute better. Yeah. That simple. So, well, it's simple in the concept. It's difficult in the execution. Like, everybody wishes they could be Chick-fil-A. Right. Everybody mm -hmm. sets out to be like, yeah, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have, like, amazing customer service and whatever. But yeah. then they don't. So mm -hmm. how have you gone about actually getting often minimum wage, you know, hourly worker type people right. who actually show up with the customer and execute with yeah. excellence and that kind of stuff? I think uh, you just hit it on the head. And I think in a lot of cases, when you're an owner, you don't want to hear all the negative because um, it could be overwhelming. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's all this negative. And so I think in a lot of cases, um, founders, owners, high level executive, whatever it is, almost try to avoid it. Yeah. Uh, we have a customer feedback loop that goes to every single customer that visits any store, corporate franchise, et cetera. I don't do social media. I got a LinkedIn page that I look at every once in a while. I don't do Facebook. I don't do Twitter and Instagram and uh, never even seen an Instagram. Um, and so instead <laughs> of doing that, when I get, uh, when I get downtime, if I'm, if I'm not reading or listening to podcasts or trying to do something to, to develop myself, um, I scroll, I scroll through our customer feedback loop, uh, which is a mobile app that I have. And I just read what customers say about our company. And, um, I get messages in real time, um, and that way I can, if somebody's not happy or we do a bad job, I want to know about it. So we have a chance to fix it. And, and I think that's the first step is yeah. soliciting feedback from every customer and giving them an opportunity to vent to, to decision makers. Wow. So I think that's step, that's step one. That's wild that somebody is putting a complaint in and the founder is actually looking at that complaint. Yeah. I know you can't see everyone, but the fact that you're that's even right. on that app, scrolling through there. I actually see, wild. I actually see, I actually see every single one, every Do you one. Really? So we have it filtered out to where, um, every, every page that you can imagine, it can be Google, Yelp, Foursquare, uh, whatever it is, internal stuff. Um, and I'm confident that we get a lot more positive reviews than we do negative. I would welcome you to, you know, research Strickland brothers, fill in the blank city and state. And, um, I'm very proud of what our teams have done um, to satisfy customers. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. Um, and so I actually have my phone set because I, I think that I'm pretty thick skinned and, um, don't have a lot of emotion as it relates to business decisions. Um, and, and so I turn off the good reviews for the most part to where I don't get notified unless it's a bad review. 
and and I know that's, that's almost dangerous. Um, but so because uh, there's no way. I mean, we get tens of thousands of reviews, um, you know, on a on an annual basis. There's no way you could read them all. Um, and so I go through uh, all the negative ones, and any negative review that we get, uh, we issue a ticket that has to be um, researched. Uh, the customer has to be contacted, and we have to correct it within 24 hours. Now, I'm not the person that reaches out and corrects it, yeah. um, but I certainly know about it. And then, you know, I, I try to go through um, at least once a week, and I'll look through a lot of the good ones and um, screenshot them or copy and paste them and, and then send it out to a collective group of people just complimenting them on what a great job they're doing and uh, that way, the, the only messages I'm delivering aren't negative, right? So I want to try That's to what I was gonna deliver ask. as many positives as I can. Yeah, uh, so and in you, a lot of cases, I off, don't. If you've turned off the positive uh-huh. reviews, how are you seeing the things that you're able to encourage them on? Yeah, so I see all the negatives, and then when I go back to see the positives, is it's just a click of a button. You can turn oh. them on, turn them off. It's real okay. quick uh, to to where you can see them. It's not like a process that has to be done you just hit the button and you can filter it by good reviews bad reviews etc um and that way you can kind of get to what you need to see quickly now if i have time on a on a weekend or something i'll sit there and just read through all of them and so a lot of the positive ones will make you feel good as an owner it lets you know what a great job your teams are doing sure but i think that that's that's step one and so when when i was at some of these um competitors and even even outside industries when they solicited feedback from customers it was it was almost um it was like these boring tainted 10 question feedbacks. I think that's more of a survey, right? I mean, that's a survey that you want to send out on a biannual basis or quarterly basis, but not something that you want to uh, um, do every single time somebody comes into the store. Um, When they come into the store, it's it's real simple. We don't send a 10 question survey. It's one question. It says, please tell us how well we did. And they click a link and it just tell us how we did. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that says, you know, did everybody look pretty? Were they all wearing uniforms? Were they like, that's to be expected. Yeah. Um, we've got cameras. We can pull that up and look at that crap ourselves. Uh, I want to know customer perception. Cause that's really all that matters. You know, I, I hate the term. The customer's always right. Cause I can promise you the customer's not always right. I could do <laughs> right. some crazy stories, but I mean, the customer's not always right, but the customer is 100% always the customer and customer perception is what matters. So if a customer comes into the store and they had a 12 minute bay time, but they feel like it was a 10 minute bay time, we did a great job. Then we did a great job, pat on the back. If they were there eight minutes, but our guys were jerks and they felt like they were there 15 or 20 minutes because of you know, how big a jerks our teams were, then they were there 15 or 20 minutes and our guys were jerks. The customer perception is what matters. It doesn't mean they're always right, um, but it's what matters. Man, what's so cool about that is I'm hearing this theme pop again. The unique seat I'm getting to sit in is, like I said, I've had 60 something conversations so far with some of America's today's fastest growing companies, yours included now. And I keep hearing this theme of not obviously customer satisfaction, but not being afraid of the feedback. So somebody yeah. I just had on last week, same thing. He was only hearing positive feedback. However, they were doing their system at first and it made him skeptical. He was like, there's no way. Like they did, they did like mm-hmm. a chimney yeah. repairs, chimney cleanings, roofs, all this kind of stuff. And so and then he made his team, his customer service team call every customer the day after and mm-hmm. ask them directly, how was your experience? Because he's like, I want to know, I want to know if there's a bad, a bad experience so that I can correct it and I can make it right. And that kind of thing. And I'm hearing the same thing from you. Yeah. No, no feedback is so much worse than bad feedback. 
you know, the, the customer simply goes somewhere else. Whereas if a customer will tell you, you know, the store wasn't clean or, or this guy was rude or whatever it is, now you know there's an issue and you have the responsibility to fix it. Yeah. And that's, I think that's all anybody wants or what they should want anyway, because there's no business in the world um, that's, that's perfect. And so when a mistake is made, um, that's, that's our job. But number one, we, yeah, we need to know about it. We need to own it. And then we need to fix it. Yeah. And as a consumer at other places, if there's a mistake made and um, somebody calls me and says, Hey, I'm sorry, this was done. I'd like to do this to correct it. I said, yeah, no problem. And I'll probably go back next time. I mean, I, I think right. most people, regardless of what you hear on news outlets um, from, from either side, I think most people are genuinely good people and they just, they just want to know that wherever they're, um, you know, giving, giving their money to uh, care about them. And yeah. that's, you know, that's what we try to, that's what we try to do. What do you guys do uh, or what are you doing for kind of people development internally for, for those? Yeah. Yep. There's a, there's a lot to it when you're growing um, as fast as we are. And apparently the other folks that have, that have been on your podcast, uh, the development of people um, has to be one of the top two focuses alongside customer satisfaction. Those are the non-negotiables. And um, so I, I read a, a lot. I'm kind of addicted to it. And if I run across um, something short that they can read quickly for development, I flip that to them. I have them read it. Uh, I've had some try to subscribe to um, like certain micro books that I think will help with their development. Um, keeping a good culture is absolutely critical to to development because it, when you're growing um, at the at the pace we have um, in in the last several years, I think that it's easy for people to become overwhelmed and stressed. Sure. And I think it also starts from when you're recruiting and interviewing is we let everybody know that comes into the office that, Hey, we're growing extremely fast and we have no intentions of changing. Um, we're going to provide unapologetic, honest feedback to you in real time. And we need to know that you're coachable, that you can accept that. And we also need you to know that change happens very, very often with fast growing emerging credits. And so what our process is today will probably be different in 90 days. And we don't mm. want you to become frustrated with that. And uh, it, it's going to happen. You can't do the same thing when you've awarded 10 franchise units as when you've awarded 50 as when you've awarded 150. Yeah. And if you want to continue to grow at that pace, you have to be on constant and consistent innovation uh, to better processes, streamline processes and, and attract talent. Um, a couple other things we tried to do early on, and I've, I've found that this is true, not just in our business, but in other businesses that um, that I've helped some folks in terms of mentorship or invest, whatever it may be, is the, the, the easy solution here is to just hire top talent and pay top talent. But when you're emerging credits, it may be difficult to afford $150,000, $200,000 CFO. Sure. And, but you, but you really do need kind of some expertise. And sure. so one way that, that we found to kind of bridge that gap early on was um, just create some phantom equity plans to where um, if somebody wants to be part of a, a fast growing concept, then give them some ownership in it as part of a compensation package and try to get some top talent to surround yourself with. So that we also developed um, uh, a learning management system uh, internally 
for our technicians and our management. And um, it's, it's geared more than just kind of operations. The, the very start of it uh, is the orientation, introducing our core values. And then we go through in detail what those values are and why they're our values and why we're so passionate about them. It's more than just, you know, the, this uh, PowerPoint slide that slides right. on the screen and says, Here, here's our values. Um, we go into detail as to why those are our values. And they're deeper than just Strickland Brothers. They're community you know, community issues is, is I hope that all of my employees naturally turnovers high in the industry when, you know, when you're paying 10, 11 bucks an hour, sure. uh, depending on where you're at in the country. Um, and so you're going to have higher turnover. And um, my goal is for, for those folks when they leave and they move on to their other jobs um, or they get promoted through the ranks here at our company, uh, that, that they just feel like we're developing them as human beings. We're making them better dads or moms or, or sisters or brothers or parents. Um, and that they become better people because of some lesson that they learned through servant leadership or customer satisfaction uh, or professionalism um, in the way that they talk to people and address people. And uh, I think that's, again, really what matters. At, at the end of the day, um, you know, what we're doing at Strickland Brothers is um, fun. And I think it's exciting for a lot of our team members, but it's very, very small in the scheme of things. And so um, how we develop our folks as employees, but as people matters so much more to me. And so those are my two main focuses is the development of our people and our brand and uh, customer satisfaction. Everything else is secondary to me. Heck yeah. I love that. Um, for you, what do you, uh, how do I phrase this? I love that you, you're, you love personal development. You're addicted to reading. Um, what are some of the things that you've, let's say this year, I was trying to figure out how to filter because that's a big, broad question to ask. This year, what have been some of your favorite uh, books or uh, oh, concepts yeah. that, that you've been stewing on that have been really awesome for you? Um, some of them I've read recently. Uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great. Yep. Um, I've read a lot of stuff about re remote work and, and learning. Um, the Right Side of History was one I enjoyed. Uh, Relentless by Tim Grover was a good one. Principles yep. by Ray Dalio. Um, you know, all, all of that stuff I think have been, uh, been good. I had a, um, a goal last year. I wanted to read a, a hundred books and I read 106 in 2020. Wow. And, um, so we flipped it. Most of them are through, most of them are through like audible stuff yeah. like that. I don't have time to actually sit there and read a book, but, <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't super productive though. Candidly, um, you would get into a book that would take 15, 20 hours to listen to and get two or three nuggets out of it. And yeah. so this year I've gone, I've gone more towards micro books. And then if I really enjoy the micro book and I'm just getting a lot of good content out of it, uh, then I download the, uh, entire book and really dive deep into it and try to understand what, what the, uh, author's it's a micro book. Microbooks. So uh, microbooks are basically, you could take, uh, let's use uh, Relentless by Tim Grover. It's a yeah. book about um, competitive spirits with Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Uh, he was their trainer. And um, uh, so like if, if, if you listen to the audible, it may be a, a 15 hour book, sure. but it'll sum it up into um, um, mine and your generation referred to it as like quick notes, notes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cliff notes. Uh, so, uh, but, but it's a, it's like an audible version of, of cliff notes <laughs> and you've got like uh, 12 men books is a good app for that. Um, and that's, Say that's that a micro book. So it, 12 men. 12 like minute, yeah, that's right. 12 minute books. And so, um, not that I, I don't own any ownership stake in 12 men books, but the, uh, uh, it's like 90 bucks a year, man, for that. Come on. And, uh, yeah, it's incredible. And um, 
So, you know, there those it compresses it down to 15 to 30 minutes and you can listen to it. And if you really just, you know, start vibing like with I it, it just more. makes sense. Yeah. Then, then you pause, then you go get the audible book and, and then research it. And that, I found that to be uh, much more efficient and effective um, for, for my 2021 goals. Dude, I'm going to do that. I, I, yeah. I dig, I mean, I'm the same way. I, I usually don't finish a book and typically because you yeah. know, you know what they're trying to say in the first few chapters and mm-hmm. unless it's actually like, so there's a book called um, peak. And that's when I actually finished because every chapter was explaining a different concept of peak performance in right. more example and details versus most books. Primary thesis is at the beginning. And then the rest is just kind of fluff. <laughs> like, man, I wish yeah. I had just had a, had a cliff notes version of that. So I'm going to do that for sure. Yeah, it's, it's pretty helpful. And I mean, they have different economics or whatever it is that you're interested in learning. Um, yeah. They've got it there. And I think that's been, I mean, that's, it's been crucial uh, for, for my development. Um, I had to quit school three times, so I still don't have a degree to this day. Um, And so I've always kind of felt versus, uh, versus our competitors is that um, my philosophy has been, okay, if they're twice as smart as I am, then I need to work twice as hard to, to create some kind of equal playing field. And in the midst of that, I've just dedicated myself to education so I can try to, um, at least feel like I'm closing that gap. And then the hope there is one day I can close that gap. And if I'm still working twice as many hours, then we'll have a competitive advantage. And it's a little bit of a psychotic uh, mentality, I guess, but, um, <laughs> you know, it just, it, it, it keeps me, keeps me going. Um, I'm a competitor. Uh, I want to win at all ethical cost. Yes. Um, yes. That's just kind of part of it. Well, I don't want to take away your chip because I know a lot of athletes work best with a chip on their shoulder, but my, my hunch is that you are not stupid at all. Uh, again, I think you're tricking <laughs> yourself to, to help you, but you're, you, you sound similar. You sound similar to me. I barely passed school. I mean, I, I graduated from, <laughs> from Clemson with a 2.001 and That's awesome. <laughs> it was because I was bored. Like yeah. it had nothing to do with actual intelligence. And I didn't realize till later in life when I encountered things I actually cared about solving or problems or things I wanted yeah. to learn. I'm a good student. Who knew? Right. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yes. That was a little different. So my, um, my wife and I started dating when I was 12 years old in middle school. And, um, so we, we got engaged young, we got married young. Um, as soon as we got married, uh, she got pregnant with our first son Tate within like two months. And wow. I was going back to school. She had got a job as an entry-level school teacher at a local high school here teaching uh, English and some um, special uh, ed classes. And um, so, and, and here in North Carolina, entry-level teachers at that time made like $29,000 a year. So we were, we were struggling as it was. And um, when she got pregnant, I had to quit and go get a job. And uh, that was coming off the financial crisis. And so wow. I landed a job. As a uh, hood technician in the oil changes, fate would have it. <laughs> Holy cow. All right. So you have a way better excuse, by the way, <laughs> than I did. <laughs> you had like real, you had a yeah. real responsibility. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. I wanted to, I wanted to feel yeah. some camaraderie there. And, and neither, yeah. No, neither. When I was 18, neither one of my parents lived in the same state as I did. One wow. was in South Carolina and one was in Virginia, and I was in North Carolina. So it was just kind of go time at yeah. that point and when i was it was you know when i was in school um even though neither one of my parents lived in the same state 
the the education system, the school that I was going to had, um, I guess it was just kind of a national thing. If you were under 26, they took your parents' income into account. And, and so they took that into account, both of my parents' income, plus my income, uh, plus my wife's income. And so we barely got any help for anything. And so I couldn't hardly afford it as it was and Whoa. didn't want to take out student loans. And, um, anyhow, so that, that made it pretty tough anyway. I just didn't want to start my life in extreme debt like that. Yeah. Um, but you're a great example of someone that has w- went, gone and been plenty successful without needing a sticking college degree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. I, I, you know, I respect people. We have a lot of people here uh, with college degrees and, and I'm glad they have them. Um, I think college is extremely important, but I do think that in a lot of cases it teaches you to think in certain boxes. And I don't mean that as an insult. Um, yeah, I totally we have several, several highly intelligent people that work here with degrees and we look for people with college degrees, um, but they're teaching a curriculum and, you know, I've, I don't know. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't really, I'm pretty coachable. I, I love to learn, yeah. but uh, anything I learn, I always, always question, you know, and I, yeah, I just want to pick it apart. It. Um, yeah. You, you want to pick it apart and test it. Yeah. yeah super cool. So uh, for you, you're busy, you're a family guy, you've got this growing business. Sounds like several businesses you're invested in. How, how do, is there anything you do on a daily basis to keep yourself mentally physically, emotionally, spiritually energized and not stressed out, burnt out kind of thing? Yeah. yeah golly, that's a loaded question. Um, so yeah, I do. It's going to be pretty cheesy, but I'll tell it to you. So we work in the Winston tower in Winston-Salem. We're on one of the top floors and for, for my career, it's just been about overcoming, um, hurdles. So I want to give you a little bit of backdrop and it'll make more sense to you, I think, sure. uh, or some backstory. So, um, when I was in high school, I was really big into sports, uh, big into basketball. Uh, my senior year, I uh, led the state in scoring in North Carolina in 2006 and felt like I was under-recruited um, because I was like six foot tall, a little bit undersized. Um, my 40 time was like four six five, where everybody else's was 4'4". Four, four. Yeah. And so athletically, I wasn't at the same level. And so I didn't have a lot of D1s just flocking to give me a scholarship. And I felt overlooked by that because I dedicated my entire high school career to working my butt off and just felt like, you know, I got overlooked. Right. So then I go to college and my wife gets pregnant. And so I'm kind of done with that. And um, I end up landing this job, um, you know, to quick oil change, make a minimum wage and ask the owner there if he thought I'd have a chance to be a manager. And uh, he said no. And so then I move on to somewhere else. And, um, you know, tried to offer some advice and move up the ranks there. And again, it was like a hard no. And so then you come up with this business plan and I get this business plan, um, uh, and take it to, um, take it to several banks. And, you know, at that time I had 6,100 bucks, uh, in my checking account or something like that, give or take a hundred dollars. And, uh, at 23 years old and 6,000 bucks, banks just aren't very interested. So I got turned down by every single one of them. Uh, went to two or three investors. No, uh, just hard stops everywhere. And my grandfather, uh, was like, I mean, just like a father figure. He was incredible. Uh, just a great man. Uh, he was the uh, tobacco sharecropper the first half of his life. Second half of his life. He was a meat butcher at Cloverleaf, uh, grocery stores. Uh, never made more than $10 an hour his whole life. Worked really hard and had his house paid for that he'd lived in for about 70 years. 
and he uh, puts it up as collateral. It appraised for sixty-one grand, and so he gave me a home equity line for thirty-five thousand bucks, and that's how we started the first one. No. And so since. Yeah, we started the first one off of that home equity line. We had forty-one grand, and and me and uh, now my COO, who's in the office next to me, it was just me and him when we got started. Come on. Um, and that was in the fall of two thousand twelve, so what, a little over eight years ago uh, when we got that thing going. And um, but then along the way, there's been several other people, developers, when we first got a you know got in the mix that dropped this on our head and. Um, I tried to get in a business incubator and was told we weren't scalable. And, and so to answer your question, um, I try to take some downtime every morning and I take 572 stairs. I don't take the elevator here. I take the stairs every morning. Um, and it's like every stair is just another piece of our, of our process and our puzzle to try to overcome adversity. Um, and at the same time, you know, I listen to a book, a micro book, well, I'm, it takes me about 15 minutes to come up all the stairs. Um, and I listen to a micro book, and that's typically when I do my public trading um, in uh, extended hours on the public markets. And then I do the same thing in the evenings. And that's really about the only time I have to get any exercise in right now because, you know, I'm 60, 70 hours deep yeah. in Strickland Brothers. And um, so, you know, on the way up the steps, on the way down the steps, it's about what I got. Heck, yeah. That's awesome. I love the combination. You've, you've habit-stacked. Right. So that's one of the phrases we would use is where you can have one habit that represents kind of several different pieces that matter to you. So you've got the exercise yeah. of the stairs at the same time, you're getting some free headspace. on top of that. Mm -hmm. You might be, like you said, checking some things or doing some, some trading or something like that. And you're able to kind of fit that all into the same space, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's fun. Much that's more. Awesome. All right. So, um, man, I'm curious too, with, with 2012 is when you started the first store. Is that right? That's right. We're now in 2021. What, mm -hmm. where is the company at location? Yeah. So size of the 2021, uh, we have almost 160 franchise units awarded, um, approximately 30 that are open corporately and another dozen or so. So, uh, either committed under construction or open. We are, um, 200 units. Um, and that's from May of 2018. So Whoa. when we started in Q4 of 2012, Mark and I, uh, my COO, we built that company to three locations and just ran into some hurdles. And so we actually sold that company in the summer of 2016 and negotiated a pretty small non-compete and uh, just took the, uh, you know, took the profits off of that and reinvested it in 2016, December 5th, uh, 2016 into Strickland Brothers, into what's wow. now today Strickland Brothers. And so we took, um, we sat on that for about a year and a half, a little better than that, uh, really. And then we worked on all the things we weren't good at the first time. We were still successful, but we knew we could have been better in, in terms of scalability and simplicity and, and certainly marketing and vertical integrations and uh, inventory processes. And so we spent a year and a half now with the you know, with sufficient money. And, um, cause we started the first one $42,000. There's not so much you can do with that. Sure. Uh, that's more of just like get in there, grind it out, make a living. And then we wanted to turn it in, turn it into a national nationally recognized brand. And so, uh, we didn't start the second Strickland brothers until May of 2018. So, uh, the second store isn't even three years old yet. Holy crap. Yeah. How and so we're, <laughs> yeah. So how in the world we, did, you, uh, did you, 
did you build and scale it so fast? Uh, it's a couple different tactics, but um, the the primary one was through understanding commercial real estate. Is um, and that's not really a secret, but we would go in and uh, uh, I got a capital company um, that I would go in and buy the real estate. I believed in Mark and his leadership on our operations enough to where we would buy the real estate, we would sit on it and hold it and for six to eight months. And then once he, once we kind of had the top line revenues established, we understood that we could sell that real estate for, you know, X on the investor market um, based on uh, uh, NOI on a lease. So yeah. if we could create attractive leases um, and sustain the payment. So we would basically set our rent targets to a certain percentage of our top line revenue and then uh, be able to offload those at some decently healthy profits in the CRE market. Um, so we had a couple different strategies there that we could do. We could either um, you know, take the profits on the real estate and use that for expanded growth to go you know, for more acquisitions or new builds or whatever the case may be. Uh, or we could just set a cheaper lease, offload it at that and inflate you know, bottom line revenue uh, for security purposes. So we've taken both strategies and use the CRE as a vehicle when investors wouldn't invest in us. Um, and so we just kind of created our own investment pool through basically a company that has nothing to do with Strickland Brothers to fund Strickland Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. It does remind you me. You got one option, man. You, you hit a wall. You either go over it, under it, beside it, or through it, but you don't stop. Let's go. Where'd you get that mindset from? Uh, I think you have a choice, man. When you're, you're kind of, you know, when I, when I came up, it wasn't, uh, my mom did a great job and you know, my dad was a hard worker. We didn't have anything. You know, we didn't have any money power get cut off pretty regular. So, you know, when, when you've got, um, there's two different mindsets. There's, there's a fight for survival and there's a fight for like gaining business. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be a day that, you know, my kids run a business and, Hopefully I'm wrong, but I think they'll probably get their butt kicked because there's going to be somebody that's fighting for survival and that's something they don't know how to do. There's a difference. That's definitely the trend you see. Man, um, I was going to say what it reminds me of, and I don't know your world well enough to know there's probably some key differentiators, but like McDonald's, you know, I watched the, the Ray Kroc kind of documentary. And they founder. About, founder, yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. talk about him realizing I'm in the real estate business, not the not the restaurant business. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's similar, and it's similar with any single tenant net retail. And um, so, once you can identify that, I read a lot of books relating to uh, commercial real estate and understanding developer rates versus disposition rates, and under really understanding basis points and what's attractive on the investor market and what's not. And you know, your your single end, double end, and triple net leases and modified gross and what's important, what you should fight for, what you shouldn't. And once you can understand the, the real estate side of it, you can build your model, at least in the single tenant net retail space. It's a little different with, with inline retail. Um, but then, then you can build your buildings to accommodate um, what I refer to as mailbox money. So that's what yeah. investors want. They want mailbox money. They don't want you to harass them. They just want you to send them a check. Yep. And so if you can build your leases to accommodate that, then you can successfully create um, lower dispositions on the investment market, um, thus creating lower developer rate opportunities. And there's a, there's a lot of different techniques you can get creative with there. But yeah, no, there's a lot of truth to that, actually. Man, super cool. Well, if there's one thing, Justin, that I've heard while listening to this in our audience is that you certainly are not stupid. 
You are a, you are well, a I smart appreciate man. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just so funny because you carry this, yeah. you carry this kind of quiet, calm, southern. I'm from the south. I'm from Atlanta. The southern, like, yeah. oh shucks, man. Like I have to work harder than everybody. I'm like, you're not fooling me. I, I know that you got, you have a brilliant yeah. business business brain, um, and that is clear. So keep yeah. playing that game. But we're not buying it, buddy. I appreciate it. <laughs> we're not buying I it. I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. I'm, yes, sir. I'll keep. I'll keep developing. I still feel that way, but I appreciate the compliment. Thank you. Absolutely. But <laughs> that, again, like you're going to be like me. You're going to develop for the love of it. You're going to be. You're going to develop because there's That's a right. built. There's a built-in humility and just a desire to grow for growth's sake. Um. But yeah. Anyways, I want. I want to let you know that the jigs. The jigs up. You're brilliant, and we all know it. I'm going to get you uh, our five lightning round questions. I know you're a busy man. So I want to, I want to thank you for your time, ask you these five questions and I'll let you go about your Monday. Number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Um, Neutrality. Do you want me to explain? Yes, please. Especially with (laughs) a one word. (laughs) What do you mean? Yeah. uh, So I think that anything, um, can can be placed on a spectrum uh political beliefs racism any of these important topics um can be placed on some kind of spectrum and every human being will be placed on that spectrum somewhere one way or another and everybody's goal should be neutral what does neutral represent on that spectrum on it um is is somebody that's not swayed by outsourced media or um uh i don't want to use the word uneducated opinions but um uh, opinions just because of their upbringing or cultural opinions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I hope that our team will always seek out, uh, and this is unrelated to Strickland Brothers. I just hope that they will always seek out um, the the good in people. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I love that. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Super cool. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And what about the worst? Um, the worst advice, uh, is easy. We've had quite a few, quite a bit. Um, the, the worst advice has been, uh, that we're growing too fast and can't handle it to slow down. Mm. Um, the, the best advice has been probably to, um, block out the noise. Don't make comparisons and compete with yourself. Uh, if you can be the best version of Justin Strickland, then you won. Yeah. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. So good, man. That comparison, it knocks you off track. You start, you start, you start making comparisons that aren't apples to apples and you start making pivots based on somebody else's personality or purpose or whatever. That's right. And you've missed your mark. The only mark you got. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Just maximize your own potential. If you do that, you win. There we go. All right. Number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? Um, franchise partners, uh, um, following the model. Mm. So we've developed, we've developed a model that has been proven successful time and time again. And we have so many wonderful franchise partners that I am thrilled to be associated with. Um, and I hope that as they, they get online that, um, they follow that model and they adhere to that customer satisfaction commitment. That's, that's really about it. Got it. All right. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? Mm. Uh, to become a nationally recognized brand known for uh, transparency, speed of service, kind of breaking the negative stigma in the auto industry, always trying to be a, a leading innovator in our space. Heck yeah. 
Well, man, I'll, I'll tell you this already. If, if you open up one up down here with, uh, where I am, you'll have, you'll have a consumer and me got, and my wife. We, we got several coming in Atlanta. You'll Let's see them over the next 12 months. Yeah, Let's go. Good. I mean, seriously, my wife <laughs> makes me take her car to get even yeah. an oil change because she's afraid they're going to try to sell her something she doesn't that's need right. or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, this that's sucks right. that I can't just that you can't just go to an oil yeah. change yourself without distrust, uh -huh. you know? That's right. Yeah, we're gonna break that barrier. Let's go. All right, I'm down. Number five. This is our fun creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean go back to the past and tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window. When would you go back and what would you tell yourself? Oh man. Well, I don't know if that can be a lightning answer for you. <laughs> um, oh, golly, there's been so many nuggets I've been able to pull out of the last 12 months. Um, What's something, one message, maybe it's encouragement or wisdom that a younger you could have used. Maybe probably um embrace patience and empathy hmm. um i'm not a super empathetic person my office jokes around about it <laughs> i try to be um i really try to be i just have a hard time relating sometimes uh and i don't know why but um yeah i don't know maybe maybe that would be it there's so many things that i've learned over the last 12 months it would just or 24 months uh it'd just be hard to pick one i think um that's cool Maybe, yeah, maybe study the real estate markets a little harder early on. Um, I don't know, man. That's a loaded question. That's a, that's a lot. <laughs> I love it. It's it, That's why I say it's a creative question. There's no angle. Yeah, it or is angle. creative. It's, just, it's like what just comes up? Like what, what comes to your brain? It's a fun thought exercise. Yeah. That's awesome. I guess if, if, I, if I was 20, 22 or 23, um, and it's nothing that 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds haven't heard right now, is is be humble and understand that you are like in the infancy of, of your development as it relates to your brain and go ahead and make the decision now that you will be a sponge and absorb anything and everything that you possibly can yeah um and i think that you'll develop much quicker and get to your path much quicker as soon as you can humble yourself um because when with 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 even um my inner circle, and I think this is standard, is when folks are getting out of college, they want everybody to know they got a good job and all this other stuff. And I didn't have that opportunity because I never got out of college. And I think it was pretty apparent that my wife and I were having a kid young and I was a hood technician at an oil change. And so I didn't really have a choice but to be humble. I didn't have a whole lot to brag about at that time. And I think that that's helped me evolve faster than I would have otherwise. So if I could go back and give advice, it would be, um, to just be as humble as you possibly can and be a lifelong learner. Yeah. Love it, man. Kindred spirit right there. Justin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This has been sure. uh, truly fun conversation for me and lightning. Uh, I've written several things down that I'm going to go and think about myself. And I know from the audience, this has been uh, fun getting to see an inside view at such a, such an awesome company that's, that's growing like weeds uh, in, in the country right now. Glad that you're at the head of it and can't wait to see where this goes. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us on. Yes, sir. And make sure you let you send me a note when this, when you're going to be available in Atlanta. Cause I yeah. need, I need to go. You'll get it. You'll get it for sure. All right, brother. Thank you. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email. So we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.